Every Sunday, he sat in the back, awake as I, I ready to preach, and the sermon would begin, and within five minutes, I could see a battle waging in, in his mind, his, his body turning against him, uh, his mind yelling, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, and his body fighting back with heavy eyelids. And by the end of the sermon introduction, he would always be asleep, head back, snoring. Every week, there was another gentleman. He would uh, sit up, head up, close his eyes. And uh, every week, I would think to myself, man, I'm preparing this sermon. I'm toiling over this sermon in part for him. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working and I'm trying to, trying to serve this brother, but, but he's asleep. And so I remember going to him one day after the service and asking him about the sermon's contents. And his answer proved that although his eyes were closed, the entire time he heard everything I said. Every week, this young lady would show up and when I would preach, she'd be locked in, taking notes, nodding along, maybe a little quiet amen there. We, we don't get loud amens here. We're that kind of church, uh, but just a, a quiet, oh yeah, yeah, uh, really uh, taking in, really invested in what was being said. And so you had the non-listener, you had the inattentive listener, and then you had the very active listener. And I love a good active listener. But as we read James we find out that there is not much difference between these individuals, these three people, if they fail to do one thing. Turn to James 1. Open up your Bibles to James 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible in the back. It's our gift to you if you would like to keep that Bible. Uh, we have plenty more, and so we would love you to have God's Word in front of you as we preach it, to interact with it, to kind of know uh, where we're going. Again, they're back there in that little cart. Help yourself. So far in James, we've seen a picture of God who's sovereign. He's in control, and so he can even use our trials to fortify our faith and mature us in Christ. God does not tempt anyone to sin in the midst of trials. That's been the picture that has been painted. God is consistently good. He gives good things. That's what we've seen so far in this first chunk of James 1. And we ended last week by talking about God's picture of ultimate goodness, his gift that is truly good. It's that gift of salvation. So look at verse 18. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth. We were born by the word of truth. That is the gospel message. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We were born through the gospel message. The gospel came, the Holy Spirit came and revealed gospel truth to us. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and we're born anew. Now, I believe this word, word, is, is a catchword for James that he uses to finish out the rest of chapter one. I believe he turns his thoughts. Here is what your relationship with this word should look like from here on out. So look at verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. For anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Humans by nature are the exact opposite. We are slow to listen. We are quick to speak. And we are quick to anger. With listening, we can get easily distracted, self-consumed. Or, as we're listening, we're too worried about what we're going to say next once they shut their yapper. Man, I can get in what I want to say. And I know you have received on the receiving end of that. You're, you're talking to a person. Their eyes are looking at you, but they're glazed over. And they can't wait to speak. But I also know you've been that person. Oh, man, I, once they're done, I can't wait to interject my opinion. We are quick to speak. We love, love more than anything, sharing our thoughts on a subject, even things we don't care about. I call them faux opinions. They're not real opinions. They're fake opinions. We don't really believe them, but we just love to talk about what we think is the best or what we think is the right thing to do. We love to fire off our opinions with little thought, ready to inject our judgments. It's been said, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Because what you hear should give priority over how you you speak. Or as the rabbi said, your ears are out in the open for a purpose. They're for you to listen. But your tongue is guarded by two rows of teeth to restrain it. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We're also quick to anger. You don't like my candidate. You don't like my views on this social, economic, theological, or religious issue. Let's fight. Some people live in anger. They stew in it. They regularly have fits of anger. And if you're like, that's not me, think about how you parent your children. I can't believe You know, you're four, and you can't read, and you can barely count to 20, but I can't believe that you don't obey my instructions and understand my expectations. (laughs) We're quick to anger. We're angry with others in person, online, through email. We text angry. We we write people angry. There's a righteous anger, yes, but, but very few of us can even control that. Being prone to anger is not in line with the standard of conduct that God demands of his people. So so James is really just writing to real people here. He's writing to churches probably around this size. He's writing to people and he's like, check how you watch yourself, how you talk, how, how, how you speak. Uh, don't give in to anger. Uh, don't let those things lead to anger. Don't let anger lead to those things. Be be careful how you speak, listen, and treat one another. You are a church that should love each other, should be gracious with each other, and that should come out in your emotions and how you talk and how you listen. These behaviors, according to James, need to come under the ministry and authority of 
of God's Word. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Shed pride. Throw off selfishness, lust, and and, and the desires that cause us to sin like, like dirty clothes. At the end of a long day of work, take them off. We have trouble getting rid of clothes we don't need anymore. Wives, I know your husband has that shirt. It's from high school. They're, they're playing days. It's dirty. It's stained. There, there's holes in it. But they won't get rid of it. It's my shirt. It's been with me. It's sentimental. We, we can treat sin in the same way. James says, throw it off. Anger, malice, quick to speak if you're slow to listen, if you're selfish, if you're you're prideful. Throw those things off and make room for God's word. Look at 21. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save you. We shed sin and we receive the implanted word. Now, how do we receive something that's already implanted in us? And and what does this mean that the, the word is implanted with us? I'll admit the language of this section is very difficult. In fact, this entire section is very difficult Uh, There's very few academics who agree on how things are built out structurally. The main idea is the same, uh, but I will do my best to explain what I believe is going on here. So I come to this with a little bit of humility, but but here's what I think is, is happening. At some point in a person's life, the gospel is preached to them. When someone puts their faith in that gospel, in Jesus, the gospel message, that message of grace, mercy, redemption, freedom, and what it looks like to live in light of that gospel takes root in a person's life like a seed in the ground. It is planted. James may have in mind his his brother's parable of the sower. The seed that takes root. Jeremiah 33 could also be in view here. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. We see all throughout Scripture, the New Testament, that the gospel is in you if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's at work. It's living and active. It's abiding in you and sustaining you. James says here, it's able to save your souls. It saves us initially, but all of salvation is in view here. It will sustain you day by day until your glorification. So this thing that's living and active and breathing and moving in us is something, though, that we're also to receive. We're with humility to continue to receive it. With a teachable and submissive spirit, cleansed of of pride, we're continually to lay out a a welcome mat 
for God's word. God, God's come on in. Make yourself at home. Have your way in my heart. So to receive the implanted word is to submit ourselves to God's word, to surrender to it, to let it shape us, to let it become a part of us, so much so that it affects what we do. Today we're lucky to have the gospel, God's word, and plant it on our hearts, yet we also have God's word written on this page. Do you understand that for 1,500 years, people didn't have direct access to God's written revelation? And so they would come and they would listen to the word preached, translated in their native tongue, and then they would go away and, and Uh, apply those truths to their life. We have God's written word. And so for us to receive the implanted word in part is also means that we also means that we must uh, continually open up this book and and read God's written word. To, to, To shut this book It's like pinching an oxygen tube on someone in ICU. Your heart rate's going to slow down, you're going to wither, and and you are going to to die. We have God's will. We have God's message. And here and in here, we're going to continually have this book in front of us. It's why we're called Central Bible Church. Why didn't you call yourself Ignite Church? or, uh, you know, fire church or something cool and hip. A, because that's not cool and hip. And, and B, uh, because we believe that God's word reveals God to us. When we open up his word, we meet Jesus. It's not Larry's word or Larry's opinion. It's whatever I speak that is true in here. It's whatever comes from here and grounded in here and implanted in here that is God's revealed will for us. It's why we, we, we preach from God's word. I don't, I don't talk about normally, you know, five ways to be happy uh, or five ways to have a killer, you know, body. Um, that'd be very weird if you ever went to a church that talked about that. Uh, but you never know in today's day and age. Uh, we, we open up God's word. We study God's word in our community groups. And it's it's why I pray that you as individuals are regularly in this book. Are you? Do you regularly receive God's word? Surrender to it? Do you acknowledge your need for it? Do you hunger for it? Do you live by it? Do you let it shape who you are? And what you do. Do you receive it? And in case you don't understand what that means, James elaborates. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To receive the word means to put it into practice after hearing it. Hearing the word is not the end. Obedience is. This theme will be woven throughout the rest of James and is a main 
pastoral concern of his reading and hearing and studying God's word is an essential element of spiritual formation. But putting it into practice is just as vital. Jesus in Luke 11 says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. It's right and good to love God's word, to study it, to memorize it. But if it never moves you, if it never moves you to thankful obedience, you have deceived yourself into thinking you are right with God. But I thought... Faith alone is what saves us, Larry. It's, you know, I, I confess my sin, I repent, I put my faith in Jesus, and, and that's what saves me. In a sense, you are right. But the church fathers, the apostles, all made it clear that, yes, it's faith alone that saves us. But true faith that saves us is never alone. A will to obey will follow. A desire to please God, to honor Him is part of true saving faith. I went to cemetery, I mean seminary, <laughs> for, for over half a decade. It's easy to deceive oneself there. I'm studying God's Word in depth. I'm a scholar. That's how seminarians view themselves. I analyze scripture at depths that others rarely do. There's new insights. It's exciting every day. I'm wrestling with these truths. I'm coming to these conclusions that I never saw before. I'm discussing these things with actual academics and theologians and guys' books who I used, used to read. Man, I spend hours and hours reading, thinking. I listen to God's word better than others. That's great, Larry. But are you doing? Do these things you hear have any bearing on your life? If not, you have been deceived, brother. You are like this. Look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is a very strange illustration. Mirrors in this day were not like our mirrors where we can see every pore, every nook, and every wrinkle, and every flaw. Uh, they're very different. They were usually bronzed, uh, usually uh, polished copper or bronze. They, they would produce like warped reflections, very dim reflections. So if you wanted to, to know what you look like, if you wanted to have a good look at yourself, you couldn't simply glance at that mirror. You'd have to consider carefully what you saw. You'd have to examine it, pay attention, study that, that reflection. Therefore, it would be ludicrous to then walk away and forget what you look like. This is like a person who hears the word and doesn't do it. Yes, you hear the word. You look intently upon it. You read it. But the, step, the second you step away from it, it's easily forgotten. There's no lasting impression. There's no heart movement. That's just as ludicrous. How, how crazy would it be 
for me to, to leave my, my son uh, home alone during the day. That's, that would be crazy in and of itself. Uh, but <laughs> we do that. But, but to give him a list of chores and to say, hey, son, I need you to empty the dishwasher, uh, put, put the dirty dishes in the dishwasher. I need you to, to make sure that there's a pot in there and clean that. I need you to pick up the living room and, and, and put all the pillows on the couch. And I need you to vacuum and I need you to sweep up the floor, which we have a room now, it's pretty easy. And, and so I need, you to, I need you to do these things right here. Now imagine if I, I left him alone for you know four or five hours um, and, and then I come back and there are chips all over the floor. Uh, the, you know, the pillows are everywhere. Nothing is done. Dishes are, are stacked even higher than they were. All of his friends are over and they're playing video games. And I said, hey, hey, son, what's, what's going on here? Did you not see that list? And, and would, would it not be ridiculous for my son to say, oh, dad, I, I, I spent at least 30 minutes looking at that list. <laughs> I studied it. <laughs> I, I, Dad, it was a great list. <laughs> Expectations, very clear <laughs> as, to, as to what that list uh, is calling me to do. I, I completely, me and my friends, we even got together and looked at it together and, <laughs> talked, about, and talked about what it meant for us to do that list. Well, then why didn't you do it? I got busy and I forgot. That's just as ludicrous. Yet it's what we do with God's word. Absurd is the man who walks away and forgets what he looks like. Absurd is the man who listens yet forgets what he is called to do. Don't be a forgetful hearer. Be an active doer. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The word now is called the perfect law of freedom. The person who looks into the law of freedom, look here has the the idea of like bending down and, and studying and looking intently like when you were a kid and you saw a bug, you'd kind of get there and really, oh man, how's this thing working? What's going on there? That's the idea of looking here. The one who looks and remembers and perseveres and acting on what they have seen will be blessed in his doing. Not with a, a new car, not with a house, but you will have a sense of peace and gladness and security in fulfilling God's purposes. The law of freedom, the law of liberty. That sounds like an oxymoron. Usually laws are, are restricting. They, they confine. The perfect law of freedom is not a law, though, that binds and constricts. And so if you're like, man, I got to do this now and I got to do this, I got to do this. That is not what the gospel is about. It's not the Old Testament law as it was, but, but it's all of scripture as fulfilled in Christ and interpreted through the grid of the gospel. It's, it's the law of freedom because we've been freed from our inability to live up to the Old Testament law. Christ fulfilled its demands. 
We have been freed from eternal death, the eternal death sentence the law brings upon sinners because Christ died in our place. We've been freed from sin's bondage and we now have the ability to love God and others because of Christ's spirit living in us. The law of freedom, the gospel, it does carry with it ethical requirements. There are things to do. We should love others. We should love God. There are things for us to hear and do. But everything we do is done because we have already been saved, freed, and enabled to obey God in a way that pleases God. So coming back to James' encouragement, don't be a forgetful hearer. Be an active doer of God's word. And one thing James wants us to do in obedience to God's word is to tame the tongue. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this, person, this person's religion is worthless. What we say is very, very important. What's the idiom? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... That is a lie. A black eye will often hear, heal, sorry. A black eye will often heal quicker than harsh words. Words can cause pain well after a, a broken arm has been set, put in place, and back to normal. There are words that people have spoken to me over a decade ago that can still cause me to stumble. James is concerned about doing. He wants us to do edifying speech. Words divide, they destroy, they undermine. Words were a problem to those whom, whom James writes to. He's going to talk about this in a coming chapter. Bridle your tongue or like a wild animal. It will become dangerous, unpredictable. It will hurt others. So if you're prone to gossip, speaking with anger, mocking and ridiculing others, it, it, no matter the medium, no matter if it's online, commenting on, on social media, whether it's through a, a harsh email, whether it's face to face, if you do that, if you dominate others with your words, if you put others down with your words, if you, if you cause division with your words, your religion is useless, powerless, lacking truth, empty. Speak in a way that shows your faith to be real. Do good speech. There are two more things here in verse 27 as we wrap up. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Do care for widows and orphans. God cares about the helpless. You see this in the Old Testament. You see this in the New Testament. We are to care for the most vulnerable in our society. In James's day, it was widows and orphans. They were essentially abandoned. There was no one there to protect them, 
to provide for them. And so the church was to step in and help meet those needs, to care for them. We are to do the same thing today. Those who are struggling to to feed their families, actual widows and orphans who are fending for themselves, people who are struggling financially with, with could be just between jobs struggling. It could be mental health issues that prevent them from doing the thing that they feel called to do. No matter what it is, we're to help people in need. And if we don't, if we're not moved to that ever, our religion is defiled and impure. He says, do keep yourself unstained by the world. This doesn't mean removing ourselves from the world but it does mean not adopting aspects of our culture, its values, beliefs, and practices. Greed, materialism, competitiveness, pride, boasting. These are worldly values that we should never shake hands with. Don't, don't, don't just listen. Do. Do. We began this message by, by talking about three different individuals. The inattentive listener, the one who's asleep, the attentive, the, uh, the, the, the one who looks like they're listening um, uh, and is actively taking notes. And we have the guy, the guy in the middle. He, he doesn't look like he's listening, but he is. Now, like I said, I love the active listener. I, I love eye contact. Um, not too long, that's weird. Uh, but uh, I love uh, people paying attention and taking notes. I love that. But, but what James is telling us is all of these individuals are, are in the same boat if they're not doing, if they're not living out what God has called us to. So in one sense, I love that you're here this morning. I love you're hearing God's, I love that you've made a priority to be at church, to hear God's word. That is part of receiving that word. I love that you're here. But I also love when I see your faith in action. Every single one of us has an area of life where we know God is calling us to do it, but we're we're fighting it a little bit. I know I'm supposed to go and make disciples. I know I'm supposed to reach out and serve my neighbors. I know I'm supposed to use my gifts to, to... to build up the body of Christ. I know I'm supposed to give and be generous. I know I'm supposed to do these things. I know God has called me to do these things out of love and faithful obedience, but I just, I have a hard time doing it. Here's my encouragement to you. Humbly receive God's word. Admit to God you need it. Come back to God's truth. Study it. Memorize it, own it, let it pour over you, your children. Let it be heard when you wake up, when you go about your day, when you walk around, text it to one another, write it on your mirror, join a community group that studies God's word, go to a church that preaches God's word, then ask God to show you what to do. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you do it and then go and be a doer. Amen? Let's pray.